0: Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander, the crossroads where culture, lifestyle and community meet, all hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American G. Keith Alexander.
1: And a very pleasant good afternoon to you and to yours. And I want to say welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander the crossroads where lifestyle, culture and community meet. Now, wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem, America. Today in the What's Hot Spotlight is Felicia Rashad, an accomplished actor and stage director, two-time Emmy Award nominated Felicia Rashad, became a household name when she portrayed Claire Huxtable on The Cosby Show, a character whose enduring appeal has earned her numerous honors and awards for over two decades. She has appeared as Carol on NBC's This Is Us, and in 2019 and 2020, she was nominated for Emmys. Uh, Also, she played Diana Dubois on the popular Fox TV series Empire, And as Dr. Woods Trap in Terrell Alvin McCraney's Peabody Award winner series, David Makes Man on the OWN Network. So, with the power vested in me, which is close to nil, it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say that my special guest, Felicia Rashad, is What's Hot. (laughs) Hello there. How are you? Today. I'm fine. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. You know, th- this technology, I'm still trying to get used to this technology, Felicia. And uh, <laughs> it is, let's see. Well, I'll just go along with it the way it is. Uh,
2: how is are it you okay? Ho- is it good?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, everything's good. But how, how are you holding up during this uh, coronavirus uh, downtime?
2: I've been very fortunate to be well. To be mm-hmm. safe and well, and um, and my family is safe and well, and my friends, most of my friends, have been safe and well as well.
1: So- good, good, good. The um, I, I want you to know that. Preparing for this interview, I was so impressed with your resume and all the accomplishments and the awards. Uh, And of course, there was no way for me to know that you had accomplished all these things. So I had to really select a special fragrance for you today uh, in order for me to be able to do this interview because this is very special. So I I put on my Wall Street fragrance today uh, just for you. Because looking at you on my Facebook page with your photos, you look so, so elegant and so sophisticated, and and you've got such grace. You remind me of the Queen, Cymbeline. Mm. You look like a queen. Thank you. You're
2: quite Thank you welcome. very much.
1: So let us uh, congratulate you on the fact that uh, you are uh, an AKA. And uh, the AKs have been in the news uh, lately, and uh, one of your sorority sisters has become vice president of the United States of America.
2: Uh, yeah, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are your thoughts about that i I think uh, I think that's more than special <laughs> she, I think she, that's more than special.
1: Uh, she stands on, I guess, your shoulders as well as many other uh, AKAs, and uh, the uh, we're so proud of her, uh, and uh, I, I thought that uh, her having such a, a wonderful accomplishment uh, would be something that young Black women, young Black girls could see themselves and, and, and say, the, say that one day I can be vice president or president for that matter, you know,
2: so. It's very inspiring. It's inspiring for young girls and women the world over. Um, and, uh, and that's what is most significant to me, is that it's inspiring for women and young girls the world over. Well, and this is, this is not only her accomplishment, it is the accomplishment of the American people because the American people voted her into office.
1: I concur, I concur. Yes. So let us take the Wayback Machine uh, back to where you were born, Houston, Texas. So what is it like having a, uh, a, a daughter who's a big star as well?
2: Well, you know, we don't look at each other like that. She's I'm mom and she's Philia and uh, that's the way it is.
1: Well, you got to be real proud of her though.
2: I'm very proud of her, but I'm, I'm proud of her. Certainly I'm proud of her professional accomplishments. Certainly I am. Mm-hmm. But, but what I'm most proud of is her work ethic. And I'm very proud of her personal attributes, characteristics that she has demonstrated uh, since early childhood. Mm. Her empathy for people, her her ability to boost someone when their morale is low, Mm -hmm. her desire to include people in fun Mm -hmm. and whatever is happening. She's always been like that. She's open and friendly and social and uh, generally respectful and kind to people.
1: Well, that's great. Well, she takes after her mother.
2: Oh, that's very kind of you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and for those folks who, who may not be familiar with your daughter, she stars in um, Billions. Yes. On, on Showtime.
2: Yes. Her name is Condola Rashad. Yes. And she plays uh, an attorney. Yes, Kind of like her mother did at one point. Hmm. Yes, yes, yes. You hadn't follow- made that connection quite. <laughs> but it's true. Following in her mom's footsteps. Oh. Yeah. yeah.
1: So all right, so so let's take the way back machine. Let's go back to where you were born, Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh and as a little girl, what was life like for you there?
2: What I remember most is um <laughs> I remember family, of course, and feeling uh, loved, cared for, and well-protected. I remember a community in which I felt the same. I remember very, very blue skies with big clouds that used to take on the shapes of animals, peoples, and things. I remember the smell of cut grass. Mm. I remember... A little duck I had once, and I remember a little <laughs> chicken I had once. I remember trips to the farm where my father was born in Lobdale, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And I remember an extensive road trip. Well, it seemed extensive to me at the time because I was quite young. A trip that we took to from Houston to Chester, South Carolina for Christmas um, in our car, and my brother, Tex, and my sister, Debbie, and I were bundled up in the back seat of the Lincoln. My <laughs> parents were in the front, and it was very, very exciting. And we were making up games as we went along the way. I remember teachers who were in the classroom because that's where they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And who gave us everything they had. And who demanded excellence from us because they knew where we lived (laughs) (laughs) they knew our parents and so Mm -hmm. um less than that would never have done i remember not really understanding racism until i learned to read really yeah because uh the community was such uh you know so when you read about Tulsa, Oklahoma, before the Tulsa riots, you know, mm-hmm. the beginning of the century. You read about that. Beginning of twentieth century, you read about that. Houston, Texas, uh, at the time that I was growing up in the community in which I lived, um, they were all businesses owned by people in the community. Um, there was there were restaurants. There was theater, uh, cinema. My father uh, shared his office with a physician. My father was a dentist, and there were a number of dentist African American dentists. They had their own association. They had a, a picnic every year on uh, Juneteenth, my birthday, so it was a double feast for me. <laughs> um, I went, and but in our neighborhood, um, you know. Um, let's say someone who worked as a housekeeper mm-hmm. would live next door to someone who was a doctor. Ah, okay. It, yeah, it wasn't, you know, it you did, I didn't feel separate from people uh, because of occupations or economic standing. It's, it's like the community was there. It began to change certainly as I, you know, as I was continuing to grow up. But in the schools, you know, I went to public schools um, when I was 13. Uh, my mother took us to live in Mexico City for a semester.
1: Now, how did that come about?
2: Well, my mother, Vivian Ayers, is a poet.
1: Poet laureate.
2: Not a poet laureate, a poet. No? Poet, no, a poet. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. A published poet. Okay. Uh from the time I was very young. Her first book, Spice of Dawns, uh, is a collection of her poetry. And actually Langston Hughes featured a selection from that book in Mm -hmm. his anthology, Negro Poets. So my mother Vivian Ayers is in that anthology. Wow, okay. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, how did that come about? Well, my mother was uh, from Chester, South Carolina, which is a mill town. Uh, she was educated at Brainerd Institute, which was a Presbyterian school with a classical education. Um, my parents were divorced when I was six, and my mother continued to live in Houston because she didn't want to separate us from our father, who was mm-hmm. very attentive.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But she she was on a different trajectory than most people. She left the women's social groups that she was in because she said all they talked about was washing machines and hysterectomies. And she was interested <laughs> in poetry <laughs> and art, you know? Uh, so she she became something of a uh, an oddity because there weren't a lot of people writing poetry. In that circle of people, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, her quest was a different quest. And she wasn't enamored with materialism at all. And she wanted to experience something other than racism because it was the time of legal segregation in this country. And she wanted her children to have a different experience too. She really. She really was the one who kind of guided us in a way that allowed us to move beyond racism as young children because she she constructed all kinds of things to take our attention away from it. She would uh, move all the furniture in the living room back to the sides of the wall and teach us to tumble across the floor. And she'd bring our friends in to teach them too. Really? She would go, yeah, she'd bring our friends in from play to teach us choral speech. Hmm. She would, oh, my mother would do all these things. And she would take us, she would take us to lectures that we couldn't possibly understand because of our age and experience. And she knew that, but at least we were there and we were being exposed to other things, to bigger things to, uh, to things that would stimulate our intellect and imagination.
1: That's a wonderful, wonderful experience. We've got less than 30 seconds, so we're going to take a small break, and we'll be back with the wonderful two-time Emmy-nominated <laughs> award uh, Emmy Award with Felicia Rashad in just a few <laughs> seconds. Thank you. Harlem. Harlem America. It's about Harlem. Harlem is my town. Where Chase is advancing Black pathways.
0: Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them. They subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small Black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing G Keith Alexander at HarlemAmerica.com or call D Daniels at four eight zero five five three five seven four one today.
1: Listening to Harlem America. Talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York.
0: You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to one 866 472 5788 That's one 866 472 5788 Also, you can send an email to G Keith Alexander. At Now back to the show.
1: And remember, you can also uh, listen to the podcast or tell your friends to listen to the podcast on all of your favorite uh, podcast platforms. Just subscribe and download us, okay? We're here with Miss Felicia Rashad. It is my pleasure being with you. And uh, I just want to ask you how did you get the job as America's uh, mom? Uh, as Claire Huxtable.
2: I auditioned. Well, I knew you were gonna <laughs> say that, but 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 it, it had to
1: be more than that. I mean, you know, who, who are you up against and how many, did, did you have a call back uh, or did they say, you know what,
2: she's it? <laughs> no, I. there was an audition process. Um, and uh, let's see. I think a lot of actresses were auditioning for this role. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of actresses in New York were auditioning for this role, but I had some very clear instincts about it. First was that I would not discuss the fact that I was auditioning for this role with anyone. Mm -hmm. So uh, unless I saw someone in the audition that I knew, no one I knew would kn- would know that I was auditioning. Really? Yeah, and people whom I saw that I didn't know, well, we didn't know each other, so I mean fine. But I just had that very clear understanding not to discuss it with anyone. And I didn't until the last. So there was one audition, and then there was a second audition in which I was um, put on tape and asked to speak Spanish. And um, then after that audition, I was called to a final audition in uh, Los Angeles the day after Easter Sunday. And it was only after receiving that final call back that I spoke to someone about it. And that someone was my mother Mm -hmm. who was living in Houston, Texas still at the time. And I asked if she could come and be with my son while I went to California to audition, and she did. And I called my sister the morning um, of the audition. Uh, my sister was living in California. She was living in, um, what's that area? Anyway, I can't remember right now. It's a pretty famous area where a lot of Black people live. <laughs> so, it's a, it's a neighborhood. It's a neighborhood. Baldwin you know. Hills? There you go. She was living up in Baldwin Hills. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and I called her to say hello, and she said, you sound so close. I said, well, you know, we are close. See, I didn't even <laughs> tell her then. Uh, I didn't tell her to the end of the day when I had been cast. I see, I see. I My see. mother taught me as a young person that when something is very important to you, if you hold it closely, loosely, but closely, you don't dissipate the energy of it. Mm. When you talk about things a lot, especially before they happen, you can dissipate the energy that you need to see it through.
1: Wow, I never thought about that, but I guess there is some merit to that. Certainly, certainly. So. What did you have to give up in order to be where you are today? I mean, is there anything that uh, you had to sacrifice in your life in order to to be who you are today?
2: I had to sacrifice time with my son. There was a period uh, there when I was in Dreamgirls. I look back on that period as the most trying time and Why? the most difficult and because of, because I had to be separated from my son a lot. Uh, the way the work was constructed. Um, well, first I had to go, I had to go for an out of town run. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was in the Wiz and went for an out of town run, my son was very young and mm-hmm. I brought him with me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And also that particular production uh, created a nursery for us as there were seven mothers with young children. So we brought our children to work and they mm-hmm. played together. Mm-hmm. They had their own big dressing room and <laughs> they had a certified kindergarten teacher. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was, I never had to be separated from him. But with Dream Girls, I was not allowed to bring him to the theater, although he was eight years old at the time. And he had always come with me everywhere that I worked. And I was an understudy in that show. And usually in a show, you have an understudy rehearsal once a week. In Dream Girls, there were three understudy rehearsals during the week, which meant that six days out of seven days, well, five days out of seven days, I worked 10 out of 12 hours. Really? If you put it all together with the performance of the show, if you put it together with matinee days. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time to be separated from your son who's eight years old going through this change. Because when you enter the third grade, that's the that's the grade where things change and become more difficult, more serious, you know. And so a parent needs to be present. I would I would get my son off to school uh, in the morning and When I would see him again most days, he was asleep in his bed when I got home at night. Really? And I hated it. I absolutely hated it because um, he was going to a school in which there was, in a lot of families, at least one parent who did nothing but parent. And one day I went to his uh, class for a presentation that he was to give, Mm -hmm. a little bit of presentation. And I watched him stumble through that because I hadn't been able to be present to help him to prepare. And as the Uh. other children got up to say what they had to say, I watched their mothers mouthing the words as the children were saying it. And I felt so low. I felt low enough to sit on a dime and swing my legs.
1: Mm.
2: I felt I felt I felt that I was such a failure. I can't even tell you how that felt to know that I couldn't be with him because <laughs> when the day came and the day did come when I left Dream Girls without another job to go to, but I left because I had to go. Wow. I was home for, mm, I was home for a number of months before I had another job to go to. And during that time, uh, I would go to the park with him and places with him. And I remember one day being in the park with him and watching the sunlight filter through the trees and squirrels scattering about and children running and playing and the sound of their laughter. And I looked at him, I said, has this been going on all the time? And he looked up at me so sweetly, and he said, "Yeah, Mama, it has."
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, you, you know, oh, bringing tears to my eyes. But it's horrible. It's, it's, and, I, and I can say this. I, I can tell you, you know, working mothers, working parents, because there are men who parent. Uh, um, they're so parenting, and and they have to work too. And for parents who. You know who really enjoy their children and love them so much, and want to give them everything. To have to be separated like that because of work, and you have to work because we got to eat. You right. have to have a place to stay. <laughs> we got to have the lights on. You know, it, it's 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 a, it's a real dilemma for people. And and I hope that at some point, uh, as a society, um, maybe we can. Think about what is done in Sweden and other places to support parents who are single parents and uh, and having to work too.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I mean, I have a, a tear coming down my my uh, face here from that story. It's a beautiful story, and uh, the um, you know being a parent. Is not always easy when you when you have to do what you have to do, you know. And sometimes we uh, we miss some of the the, the beautiful times mm-hmm. with our children, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I some years ago I got a chance to see you uh, at Lincoln Center in Cymbeline. You played the Queen, <laughs> and 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 you look like. I mean, you look like queen material, believe you me. I mean, you're sitting here right now. But also, uh, there are a couple of fo- uh, pictures on my Facebook page and in social media of you. And uh, and, and you have that, that elegance and that grace. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to know, do you wear jeans around the house? I mean,
2: can, of course I, mean, I do. Oh, I wear, okay. wear jeans outside. Oh. I wear jeans to the grocery store. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wear green right. jeans to the bank. <laughs> of course I do. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I'll wear jeans with a silk blouse, a silk, blouse. <laughs> silk shirt. Oh.
1: And oh, I'll fantastic. wear
2: jeans with a very crisp white shirt. Um, yeah. I oh, wear jeans. Okay. Oh, okay.
1: All right. Because, you know, I've got this... This image of you, you know, uh,
2: <laughs> no jeans. Uh, <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> so, uh,
1: you know, and and that's why I'm so dressed up today. I've worn a necktie just for you. Usually, when I do my interviews, I I, I just wear a uh, either a mock sweater and a jacket, or or a uh, open uh, collar shirt with a jacket. I, mm. I even picked out my my uh, special fragrance for you today, uh, the Wall Street fragrance, uh, uh, because. This is a special interview oh. and now I'd like to know about your love affair with August Wilson mm. you've you've directed maybe what three four five August Wilson productions mm, wait a minute. three is it three?
2: I think it's three. Maybe it's more than three. Well, let's
1: see, Joe Turner's Come and Gone, Jim of the Ocean. Four, uh, it's four, four. And Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And Fences, yes, it's four. And Fences, mm-hmm. yes. So how did this love affair begin?
2: Oh, well, let's see. The first, my introduction to August Wilson was the opening of Fences, the Broadway opening of Fences. And mm. at the time I was working in television. Uh, I trained in theater at Howard University, and Mm -hmm. theater is the first discipline for me. And when I saw that play, I thought, that's the kind of work I want to do. That's the kind of work I want to do in theater. That. Mm -hmm. But that was eluding me at the time. So a number of years passed, and... Finally, I was called into a meeting with August Wilson, Benjamin Mordecai, his producer, and um, and Marion McClinton, who was directing Gem of the Ocean. It seemed that Marion McClinton had been watching my work in theater, because even as I worked in television, I continued to work in theater. And for some reason, he thought I would be right for this role, I would be a, a good choice. Huh. So I went into this meeting, and um, and after the meeting, you know, somewhere through the meeting, um, they asked me if I would read. It was a cold reading, because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen the script before. Oh, and okay. that can happen. And I said, yeah. um, even though I was told by my manager, this is not an audition, you are not to audition. When they asked me if I would read, I said, yeah, of course, I'll read. And I read a passage where Aunt Esther is talking about the city of bones. And then Mr. Wilson said to me after that, he said, I'm not familiar with your work in theater. I, I, I just have known you as a, as a television actress. Well, I, I said for him, you know, at this point in my life, I just don't worry about what people can and cannot see.
0: <laughs>
2: just, just something like that. And it turned out to be like a the kind of thing Aunt Esther would say. <laughs> Little did I know. I said, uh-huh. so what people see is I said, well, they see it, they see it. If they don't, they don't. That's just but I'm who I am. And uh and 30 minutes after I left the meeting, I received a call that I'd been cast as Aunt Esther. That was the real beginning, because working through the rehearsal period with him in the room mm-hmm. was magic, pure really? magic. Oh, I, 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 one day I thought this is what, uh, surely, this is what it must have felt like to have Shakespeare in the room while you were working, because he was that kind of playwright. He was an inspired oh, yes. playwright. He, he wrote what he heard. And he understood the inherent power of rhythm and sound in language and language and what it can evoke and, and how to use it. And it was all very organic with him, without manipulation. Well, being the daughter of a writer, I had mm-hmm. complete respect and absolute appreciation for the work that he was giving us to do and for him as a person because I understand the writing process. I understand what it takes to write like that. Then um, just a, a couple of years, a few years after that, uh, I received a call from Constanzo Romero, his widow, asking me to direct Jim of the Ocean at Seattle Repertory Theater. That was okay. my first turn as a director.
1: Mm. Uh. Interesting, interesting. So, all right. So now, you've directed uh, uh, three or four of them, as you said, and of course, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But now, mm-hmm. so now, uh, Viola Davis is starring in. Ma Rainey's black bottom. Mm-hmm. Now you two uh split an award once.
2: Oh, uh what award was that? It was the uh dramatist guild.
1: Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. We've got two minutes left. Just tell me. So what do you think of of uh Viola Davis as uh Ma Rainey?
2: Viola Davis is oh come on, come on. What are we talking about here? <laughs> come on. You know, Viola and I also shared the stage in Everybody's Ruby at the Public Theater. So we have somewhat of a, we have a friendship. We have a personal friendship that goes back a number of years. I absolutely Mm -hmm. love her and adore her. And I don't think that there's anyone quite like her.
1: You know, I would not... Uh, think that you would say anything less than that you know I mean that that's uh, uh, fantastic to say Uh, we have about a minute left and I want to let everybody know that you're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander and my special guest today is the lovely and talented Miss Felicia Rashad and she's part of our culture her body of work has become part of our our culture and we've been uh, sort of looking into her lifestyle but uh, when we come back there'll be more conversation uh so you stick with me don't go away the home of glasso smart water is harlem america
0: Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business, making your business successful with its own media, is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. You're
1: listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment.
0: Check it out. Check it out.
1: Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America.
0: You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Also, you can send an email to G. Keith Alexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Well, thank you very much, Kevin Brunei. Uh, you know, I went to your filmography. Uh, at uh, IMDB and you have like 77 credits. Uh, I mean, I was really impressed. I've only got like four, I mean, you know, <laughs> four at IMDB, but you've got 77 credits. I mean, I was really uh, blown away by that. Uh, and some of the um, latest uh, projects uh, were in the uh, 2019 and and, and 2020. Uh, let's talk about Jingle Jangle. What? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's a Christmas story. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful Christmas story. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about it.
2: Well, I received the um, the offer and the script in. I think it was. Trying to remember exactly, I think it was like in March or April of uh, April of uh, 2019, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, I, I I liked the story. It was so endearing, and um, I especially liked what was happening at the end because I grew up watching Peter Pan. And always yes, wanted to fly. So I said yes. I said yes. And we went over um, the cast, went over this was a huge production. I this was unbelievable. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is David Talbot's first film. Mm-hmm. And he and his wife, Lynn, who was a producer, worked so diligently to make this film what it was, what it is. We went over for a reading in the spring, mm-hmm. yeah. but the production was like, there was it was so vast, it was so big and so specific and so fine that unlike... A lot of films that I've worked with, pardon me, with African-American writers and cast, pardon me, and director, mm-hmm. where we mm-hmm. do the film in three weeks. <laughs> this was a real film and the production went on for over a year. When what? you put all of the pre-production in, the the construction of, of set and costumes, mm-hmm. the storyboards, the music, the choreography, that... That continued, that continued. It, because it's a, when you look at that film, that is a great work of art. It's a great work of art. I was so happy. So then after I said, yes, I'll do this. I received a call from my agent one day and he said, well, I got you out of flying. I said, excuse me. <laughs> he said, well, I told them that, that you, you, you wouldn't want to fly. And I said, well, why would you do that? Why would you mm. tell them that? He said, you want to fly? I said, why do you think I'm doing the film? I'm doing the film so I can fly. Of course I want to fly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Gee. You know, that, that uh, I used to see Mar- Mary Martin uh, when I used to watch Peter Pan. I, yes. When, as a kid, I watched it at least five, six times. And, and yes. they, they have her flying through the air. So, so did they have you on harnesses and, and things? The
2: whole thing. And you had to train. Well, first of all, I knew I had to train before going. Mm-hmm. I said, I have to have very specific training before going. So I worked with, um, with a wonderful physical therapist. Taj Zahara, who has worked with the Lakers, who has worked with all kinds of sports figures, who's worked with all kinds of people. And I worked with her specifically to get the body in gear to work with a harness. To what that would be. Little children oh, honey, they can show up and just do it like that. Nothing for them. But for those children of us who are not so little, you have to prepare.
0: So I had to prepare.
2: (laughs) And that was fun. It was great fun.
1: Uh, You played uh, which character? I I invite people to go to my Facebook page and take a look at the photo of you with the the two kids. It looks like it was story time. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, what character did you play? I was the grandmother. You were the grandmother. I okay. was the grandmother. All right. Okay. And then uh, you also were involved in, in the animation of Soul. Uh, oh, you played, yes. Uh, you did a voice.
2: Tell me did, what that was about. I voiced. This is the first time that I have voiced a character in uh, a full length animated feature. And that is something that I have wanted to do for a long time. <laughs> you know, I wondered what would that be like. It was wonderful. It was easeful. It was great. It was good. You never. Well, I didn't work with any of the other cast members in the studio. Mm-hmm. I was always in the studio by. I mean, I was the only artist recording in the studio because people were in different locations. You know, some of us were recording in New York, some were recording in uh, Los Angeles, and maybe in other places too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it was exciting, and it was great, and it was really amazing to see the film. The animation is just unbelievable. And the storyline is so unique. The story is so unique that Kemp Powers, who has written A Night in Miami, you know?
1: Oh, I didn't know One that. Night. And mm-hmm. That looks like it's going to be a really uh, magnificent uh, uh, film.
2: It is. Wow. It is, it is, it is. So, all right, let's uh,
1: Let's let's go to 1985.
2: Okay, you're gonna okay. have to remind me what that
1: is. I know 1985. <laughs> <is>. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I wanna ask, you,
2: you know, uh,
1: I had an opportunity back then to, uh, I was at KISS FM and mm-hmm. uh, you were doing something, you had something uh, going on at that time. So I, I Interviewed you uh, in reference to uh, what you're doing, and and as I'm you know sitting there looking at you, I'm saying to myself, boy, she she's intelligent, she's beautiful, uh, and this is going through my head while I'm interviewing you. So after the interview was over, I don't know if you remember, the elevator wasn't working, so we had to walk down the stairs. So I you know, being a gentleman, I held your hand as we we're walking down the stairs because I didn't want you to trip and fall uh, unless you fell on me. And, uh, <laughs> and so we, so I'm, I'm, as I'm going downstairs, I'm saying now, should I ask her for her number or not? And I, this went through my head as we are walking down the stairs. So finally we get downstairs. I ask you for your number and you, you know, very, uh, graciously gave me your number. And so I was very happy and I said to myself, you know, I don't want to, uh, uh, act like I'm too excited, so I'll, I'll wait a few days and I'll call her and ask her out to dinner. So it happened to be around Thanksgiving. It was uh, it was a few days before Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I'm I'm up in uh, upstate New York uh, with uh, my girlfriend. And uh, at the time, and and I'm driving on this one-lane road. I mean, it's one lane, one little lane road, uh, and I'm driving. And the t- the radio was on, and I'm driving. I'm just a happy camper, just driving. And all of a sudden, I hear, "We have a special special bulletin." Ahmad Rashad just proposed to Felicia Allen on TV. It was, I mean, and 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 I got you know, I I, I it was like. I almost drove the car off the road, it swerved, and the lady asked me, she said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I, I didn't want to hit that uh, thing in, in the middle of the road. Uh, I, it just it just blew me away. What was it like being proposed to on television?
2: Hmm. Unusual. <laughs> 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 it was very unusual. It's not something that, um, that I would recommend everyone do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would imagine that uh, was it any embarrassment or anything because because then you came into the studio I believe. Uh, oh yes, there was
2: there was the great drama of finding me where I was at Macy's and getting me to the studio to sit in the chair and give the answer. <laughs> <laughs> So much drama. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest that everyone try that. That everyone do that because, I mean, it was uh, it it was exciting and romantic and everything. But truth be told, proposals should be intimate. I agree because that one almost wrecked my car. <laughs> well, first of all, we're not going <laughs> to even get into you. Look at what you just said. I ask her for a phone number. I didn't want to seem too excited. I wait five days before I ask her to go out to dinner, and then I'm driving up with my girlfriend. I said, "Okay, see there." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Oh God, see, 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 well, well, see." You know I mean? What, I mean, you know, I mean. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs>
1: Yes, well. Uh, it's good wow. to be
2: able to laugh about such things. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes.
1: <laughs> great. So, so, so what do you have coming up now? What are you working on? Um,
2: there, there are a couple of, um, well, there's Blue at the Apollo. Mm-hmm. We're still looking forward to that when we can go back into theater.
1: Right, right. Yeah,
2: really looking forward to that. I love that.
1: Play. Tell us, tell us, okay, for for our audience who, who, you know, may be unaware of Blue, tell us a little bit about Blue.
2: Blue is written by Charles Randolph Wright. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, um, he's written a couple of things, actually. <laughs> a few things. He's, he's, I've known him since our days together in Dreamgirls. We were in the chorus together. So we have a long-standing friendship, right? But he's also a uh, he's also uh, a known and respected uh, director. He's directing a piece. Um, he's in Charlotte right now, and I, I this is a piece for a Lifetime, I think he's directing, and he directed a number of episodes of Greenleaf. Oh, and okay. yeah, and, and
1: I, I I just had um, Keith David on uh, last week.
2: Yeah, yes, yeah. I know. So I know, I know, I know. So Charles wrote this play, uh, Blue, and it's it's a memory play. It's a play about family. It's a play about identity. It's a play about love, sacrifice, secrets. It's a play uh, about dilemma and... Surprise and Moving Forward. We, um, this play opened in the year um, 2000. Yeah, is this is 2000, I think so. Uh, at uh, Roundabout, th- well, first we were in, yeah. First we were at Arena Stage, mm-hmm. then we were at the Roundabout Theater in New York. Um it was great. And then we went Pasadena Playhouse.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then it went to uh it went to a theater in New Jersey and Leslie Uggams uh came in as Peggy. I I was Peggy in the original productions.
1: You were and so okay.
2: now I'm directing the play. Uh, Brian Moreland is our producer
0: mm-hmm. and
2: Nona Hendrix has written the music. Oh, and fantastic. Charles Randolph Wright has, has composed the lyrics. Oh, so it's, uh, I don't want to give it all away. It's beautiful. People loved it. We had packed what? houses every night. Really? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Packed well, houses every night.
1: Well, don't give it away because we're, we're winding down. I wish we had much, much more time. We've okay. only got like uh, two and a half minutes. Oh. Uh, so, so what else is coming up for you?
2: Oh, I'm going to do some more episodes of This Is Us.
1: Mm, Okay, Mm -hmm.
2: that's I'm going to do. And then there are a couple of film projects and uh, other television projects that I'm looking at uh, to develop, um, to be in as well, to perform in. I'll put it that way.
1: Fantastic.
2: Yeah. And then there's my cat, Dolores Magnolia. My little
1: companion, <laughs> I, I was supposed to ask you about your cat because my friend Renza, uh, R- Renza is uh, she she wanted to know the name of your cat, and uh, so you just told us that's great, yeah, okay,
2: Dolores right. Magnolia.
1: <laughs> hmm. Wow, so all right, so I, I just want to thank you so much because I know you have many options and things that you could do, but you uh allowed me to spend some time with you, and uh, I, I want to. Thank you so very, very much. And you're always welcome here at What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith <laughs> Alexander. In fact, after this uh, is over, uh, your podcast will sit on your page uh, on harlemamerica.com. And if you have any uh, projects coming up or any uh, products or services that you want to the public to know about, we'll put them on your page. So when people go to listen to your podcast or any of the other podcasts, they'll be able to, to see what you're doing. And, uh, we want to thank you very much for uh, being here. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been a wonderful opportunity for me to be with Felicia Rashad again. And, uh, we, we invite you to tell your friends that the podcast is available uh, in about another 30 minutes so they can listen to the show and catch up. Thank you so very, very much. Have a great day and a better one tomorrow. And don't judge your brother or sister too harshly until you walked a mile in his or her shoes. And as always, for all of you, and especially you, Felicia, I wish you excellent health, massive wealth, passionate love, and uncontrollable happiness for Mm -hmm. 2021 and beyond. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening.